Hello, my name's Jane Dacre. Welcome to the second season of Medical Women Talking. The podcasts are made up of conversations with some amazing women doctors who've had incredible careers. Being a woman and a doctor can be challenging, but these conversations are designed to be shared to help those women aspiring to fulfilling careers and to leadership roles. We hear a lot of negative stuff about medicine these days, but these inspiring stories show us that medicine can still be brilliant. Listen and be inspired. Gozi Ofaya is an Irish woman of African descent. Her family came from Nigeria, but she was brought up in Ireland and went to the RCSI where she learned her trade as a doctor and decided to become a surgeon. She's been extremely successful and has now moved into medical education so that she's inspiring the next generation of doctors and hopefully of women surgeons. So Gozi, thank you very much for joining me today. So we're going to talk about your career journey. Yeah, indeed. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure being invited uh, to be part of this. So thank you very much. Um, So I think let's start from the very beginning. Um, Why did I go into medicine, Uh, starting from there? I think when I was about 12, my grandfather was very unwell. And I remember vividly visiting him in the hospital with loads of doctors around him and trying to help him. He had urinary retention, actually. He was in quite a lot of pain, very uncomfortable. And as a 12 year old, I must say, I was amazed to see how they put in a tube and suddenly he felt so much better. And he was like, wow, okay, this is amazing. I would love to do that. And that's where my interest in medicine actually started up. Um, My dad is a doctor and uh, he started off in surgery himself. And that inspired me as well. My parents are originally from Nigeria. And they moved to Ireland in the 70s after the Biafra War. So I was born in Ireland and was raised in Ireland. I've lived all my life in Ireland, but obviously still have that traditional and cultural identity of being a black African. So I must say growing up in Ireland in the 70s, it was great. There weren't many blacks in Ireland at that stage and, you know, Everything, there were so many opportunities for quite a lot of people at that stage, you know. Um, my father, as I said, studied in Trinity College. So he was always an inspiration for me because he worked so hard. And I saw him really doing what he genuinely loved. So about a few years later, I completed my secondary education and I went into study science. I started in science. I really liked it. It was great fun. I met loads of people, but it wasn't really what I wanted. So I transferred into medicine at that stage. And I studied in the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland, and I absolutely loved it. There were just people from so many different nationalities. I think the concept of being a doctor and helping and influencing patient's health and life was just for me was just really key in what I wanted to do and as a person I'm a very skillful person I'm very good with my hands and 
and hence my rotations during medical school I absolutely loved the surgical ones and I actually went into surgery absolutely loving surgery because it was very skills based I got to use my hands it was really focused around the doing and for me that was there was a quick result at the end of it so absolutely loved surgery for that reason um, and and loved it so studied uh, did my surgical training in Ireland and I must say there were challenges to that um, I started off mentioning my ethnicity as a black African that was challenging in Ireland studying and doing surgery because there weren't very many black females in surgery it was very unique to be a black female in surgery so there were certain microaggressions that were definitely there throughout my training, both for being a female, but also for being a black female. Really? So so can you can you share some of that? I mean, it sounds as if you must have had to be quite resilient to cope with it. Indeed, indeed. And I, I mean, I have two children and I think for me, I think that's quite modest, but I vividly remember during my second pregnancy, my supervising consultant saying to me, gosh, you must be a baby making machine. How many kids do you possibly have? To which I responded, this is the second one. And I didn't think that was quite a loss, you know. <laughs> Coming from Ireland, where years ago people used to have eight, nine, ten kids, I thought two was a pretty modest number. <laughs> but to be referred as a baby-making machine just didn't make sense. And I think mm -hmm. that was this way of kind of saying you're taking maternity leave when there's rotas to be covered and work to be done, you know. Um, and I think several times I was kind of asked, well, what exactly are you doing in surgery? You know, for starters, girls don't do surgery and, you know, you're black. And I'm going, yeah, I am, um, but I'm in surgery and it's about my skill, not really about my identities that I have. But several times, and I think one key one that I remember was going for my membership exams and really ready, anxious with exams and everything. And the one of the examiners coming to say, oh, I think you're in the wrong section. And I said, oh, no, I'm here for the exam. And they looked at me and went, really? And I was like, yes, like every other candidate, I'm here for the exam. And they went, the surgical membership exams. And I was like, well, yes. <laughs> And I think they obviously assumed I was something else or somebody else or another role. But, you know, and that put me off. You know, that I was really. Imagine. I hope you passed. I did. <laughs> <laughs> I did. But you can imagine coming into exam really nervous and, you know, wondering, am I in the wrong place? You know, have I turned up late or whatever? And getting that, and they weren't just saying, you know, they were obviously referring, you, you sure possibly couldn't be uh, a doctor, let alone a surgeon, and you shouldn't be here. So so people talk also about sexual harassment. There's a lot, been a lot bit in the papers recently about sexual harassment. Did, did you have to deal with that as well? Thankfully, no. Um, I definitely didn't experience any of that. But I know that, you know, you hear stories and as you've mentioned, this definitely been in the papers and all. But I didn't experience any sexual harassment during my training. 
Um, I recently completed a PhD, uh, my PhD, which was women in surgery, looking at gender issues and challenges of surgery. And my goodness, there was quite a lot of harassment, discrimination, sexual bullying. There was quite a lot of that that is happening within the system. Uh, and I think one of the one of the things I've always said to any doctor, be it uh, surgeon or otherwise, is really to call it out and speak up because I think that's really, really key. I think years ago where we put up with this, I don't think that's really the way to go anymore, that you just needs to be called out, you know? Quite hard, though. Isn't it quite hard to call it out, particularly if there's a, a sort of power differential between you and your boss, for example? It's yeah. a hard thing to do, but but you're also involved in education, aren't, aren't you? Tell me tell me about that. How did you get into that? Yeah, so I am indeed. So I think it was, um, so after I had my second baby, I wanted to go part-time. And unfortunately, Ireland is at that stage. This is a, a, quite a few years ago, probably about 15 years ago. We're in great with flexible training or flexible working. Uh, it was it was just not heard of. It was just a thing that didn't exist. So I wanted to um, progress at that stage and it was either one or the other, couldn't choose both. So I decided to, to undertake a master's in medical education to see if that's an angle I would like. And I started in the Royal College of Surgeons working as an education. And from there, I actually built up my portfolio as an educationalist uh, within the year over the over the last 10 15 years um, and that's how I got involved in education and I, I kind of rose to the different levels within the institution in the latter years obviously I've been able to kind of keep clinical role as well which has been really good to kind of keep a hand in into education into clinical work as well so at present, I do a bit of education uh, within the undergraduate medical school. I do some clinical work um, just to keep a hand in, but that's really de decreased to about one day a week at this stage. Um, and the reason for that is that I've also been in involved in policy and leadership. So in about five years ago, I got a role as the national clinical lead for intern training for Ireland. So that's been involved in medical workforce planning at Brown Junior Doctors, about intern wellness and well-being and uh, aspects related to the education and training. So at, the, at present, I have three three hats at any, any particular time, and that's definitely kept me busy. But um, I must say I've absolutely loved it. It's been great to kind of angles to go into and I think that's one of the opportunities that you could do different things at different times, you know. So do you still operate? Do you do you still go to No, I don't. No, I don't operate anymore. I just write I do clinics. So I have clinics within my local hospital um where breast surgery is what I was trained in. So I do breast like a breast physician role uh, within the local hospital. Um, and that was a choice that I made myself, I think, because I've been involved in so many different things. As I said, surgery is a skill. You need to keep up with it. Um, but in the last five years, I don't operate anymore. It's difficult to keep it all going. Do you, do you miss it? 
I do indeed. I absolutely miss it quite a bit. Um, but I've also loved the new opportunities that I've been involved in uh, because it's worked for me. But I mean, it's led to opportunities both nationally and internationally, uh, which has been quite great. And it's nice to kind of see it. And for me, I suppose the angle I take is I'm in the position to be able to influence the future, the doctors of the future. Uh, to see what they're doing, to be part of that training up of new clinicians and new doctors um, and influencing policy. I think currently the healthcare system is really under a lot of strain. And I think one of the challenges is really having those making decisions that haven't worked on ground or experienced what it is like on ground. So having the opportunity to go in there with my clinical background I think has been absolutely great and it, we've been able to influence a few things as much as we could you know and uh, it's an interesting concept isn't it that when you're at the clinical coalface you focus but only on the one patient in front of you whereas if you stand back and look at policy things you can you can influence um you can influence much more so absolutely. so will you get what, what what's next will you carry on doing that what yeah. <laughs> it's been it's interesting because it's been as busy as ever I must say and um, will I carry on doing that for, for, for the current time yes I will I, I really am enjoying that so yes I will continue to do that for the current uh, for the present time and uh, see how that goes you know fantastic so can I also ask you about your family life because um, often the, the the women that that listen to these podcasts are uh, younger than us and are thinking about having family and career and and uh, worrying about how to make it all hang together. Yeah. So how do you make it all hang together? I think that's a, that's a really key one. And I think we talk about work-life balance and what exactly does that mean? And I always say to to my mentees that it's not just about talking about work-life balance, it's actually about action and work-life balance. So I have two kids, as I've mentioned already, and I must say it wasn't easy initially when I was working all the crazy hours and trying to juggle childcare and move it all. But one of the things I suppose in the last while with my new roles, even though I do have three hats on, is really about prioritising that life. And I think it was interesting when my my two kids now and they're a bit older but when they were five one of them going mommy you must love work because you constantly have a laptop in your hand so I was like no I don't so for me I like every other profession interestingly after five you leave the work in the office and at the weekend you leave the work in the office so when you're not at work leave the work in the office um, and I think that's one of the things I've done over the last two few years that has really, really helped me. I used to bring my work home and constantly working and it did me no justice. It did me no good. So I think it's really about making that conscious decision that once you get out of your scrubs and you're leaving the hospital, that you are leaving all of that and that, you know, those that are there, be on call or shift or whatever, will carry on the duty. And this is your downtime so that you'll be better. One of the things that I suppose that, that I heard that was really resonated with me is that 
if you're unwell, you're unable to actually fend for your for your patients. So a sick doctor is no good to patients. So you need to be well to be able to treat your patients. And I think that's something that we really don't do as well as doctors, that we don't look after ourselves as much as we should. And that's something I've started to really push across the board with anyone that I speak to, that it's really important that you look after yourself first and that well-being is really key. And for me, part of that is spending time with family, being with your kids, spending time with them, having extracurricular activities. In my in my house, we always have an activity that we do together. Come rain, shine, snow, we always go out and we always go climbing up in. We live in Dublin, so there's a mountains around us. So we go up and we have our walk. We do some hill walking. And that's been fantastic because the kids know this is what we need to do. It's Saturday. This is it. And that comes first. And that has been amazing to actually clear the head, get a bit of reflection, but also spend time with the family, which is really key. What about some um, childcare? Do you have a partner or do you have, how do you work out the, the childcare? So I, I do, I, my husband, I must say is amazing. Um, and I'm one of those that believe that it's equal share. So uh, I'm not one of those that believe that it's all falls on mother on the mummy. No, it's, it's it's equal share, and he he does his equal share. So he's a medic, and he also works. He's uh, in general practice. So um, we share it between the two of us. You know, I drop them to school in the morning, and he collects them. Or we have a childminder if she's away, then we both manage it, and that's the way we've done it, and it's worked quite well for us. It's sharing the load between the two of us, and that's really worked. And, and as I said, we do have a childminder, so that does help. And I, bet you're, super, I bet you're super organised. <laughs> <laughs> that definitely does help to manage yourself. True that. Yes. Um. So so what sort of um. What sort of advice and support might you give to your younger self thinking about the, the way that you've come through? Because you've actually been incredibly successful in achieving everything that you do. And people will be saying, oh, well, you know, what's the what's the key? What's the trick to being able to do all of that? Yeah, I think um, if I was give advice to my younger self, I think I will pitch it in five ways, five key advisors. The first one is that change is constant. I think be open to change. My career obviously took a different turn, but I was open to that change when it was time to come. So to go into education from surgery, even though I was so passionate about surgery, I think it was time to uh, make that change. And I think it's being knowing that change is a constant and being open to that, I think is really, really key. I also believe, uh, and a second tip is to take the opportunity. I think that opportunities come our ways in different ways, and we just need to be able and open to take that opportunity when that opportunity comes. So it's really being there and um, being open to to take that opportunity. Um, one of the things that has really worked for me throughout my career is the use of mentors. I have had amazing mentors and I still have a mentor till today. Um, and I think it's really powerful to get somebody that would 
you know, guide you and support you throughout your career. And those mentors could be male, they could be female, they could be anybody, they could be in surgery or they could be out of surgery. So really finding a mentor and believing in the power of mentorship, I think is really, really key. I think one of the other things that um, I would give as a tip is really around upskilling yourself. So uh, I think as a surgeon, when the opportunity came, uh, and I think a lot of trainees do this, they take masters in in different courses or they take whatever courses that come. I think if there's an opportunity and there's something that you want to go for, upskill yourself, go and read about it. Because I think when you read about it, upskill yourself and do the courses, you're more confident and you could sell yourself. You can stand strong because you know it, you know the skill inside out. So really take the opportunity for any courses or anything that comes your way to upskill yourself because that definitely would increase your confidence as you go forward. And I think my final tip is really don't be afraid to fail. You know, I think sometimes we're so afraid to, oh, I've come this far, I don't want to, or, you know, something comes and, and we're just afraid. Just don't be afraid to fail, you know, give it a chance, give it, give it a given, you know, try an opportunity and see what happens. Um, because most of the time, um, you actually get that success. So it's being open-minded. And if you fail, that's okay. Stand back up and get going because there'll be another opportunity that you'll be ready to take, you know? So pick yourself up, dust yourself down and on you get go. Going. What a fantastic philosophy. What great advice. Uh, Gozi, thank you very much for, for talking to me today. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Medical Women Talking. It's been a privilege to spend time with all these medical women. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this season. Don't forget there are many other interviews in season one.